Welcome to the life of a global desi. A podcast that connects like-minded desis all over the globe by conforming to stereotypes and breaking them. Introducing Life of a Global Desi interviews. Yes, we bring to you our conversations with remarkable global desis who are doing some truly cool things in life. The idea is to bring fresh perspectives, add diverse voices, and expand the global desi community. On to our episode now. The guest on today's show is Samira. Samira is an industrial designer based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. While she started out her academic career as a mechanical engineer on the pre-medical track, she integrated industrial design into her undergraduate education, finding it to be the perfect blend of creative and critical thinking. Samira loves everything huga, the Danish word to acknowledge a feeling that is cozy, charming or special. Changing up the layout of her apartment way too frequently and experimenting in the kitchen. She loves New England autumns, plants, building at-home escape rooms for people and finding ways to live more sustainably in small spaces. She also loves meeting new open-minded people and is always open to a good coffee and chat or chat either one or both. Samira also happens to be our second cousin on our mom's side and we have loved getting to know her over the years. Today, we talk about her experience growing up as a first generation Indian in the United States. On to our episode now. Hi Samira, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Archana and Arthi? Great. Just excited to have you on this podcast. Yay. Yeah, excited to be here. Samira, so our listeners get to know you a little better. We have a quick icebreaker question for you. And we haven't shared this question with Samira before, so it'll be totally on the spot. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Okay, I literally just answered this question for a coding class. Oh my like, god! Yesterday. Um, oh, so then we and now the one, and now I, this. but now I forget what it what my <laughs> answers were. I think one of the people was Fred Rogers, Mister Rogers. You know, from Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. It's a PBS show, and he's just a really all around great guy. Oh, um, okay. What's the show about? It's it's a kids show, so it's, I feel like it's kind of hard to describe, but it touches on different, um, like, lifestyle, belief sort of things. It's just, mm. like, how to be a good person type oh. of show. Was it like Sesame Street, but just with real people? It, it, it is with real people. It, okay, so Fred Rogers it. is a real guy, and he nice. advocated a lot for PBS and, like, children's mm. television. Um. So, Fred Rogers would be one. I feel like I, so, if you asked me this question, like, a year ago, I would have said J.K. Rowling, but now I'm not sure anymore. (laughs) Oh, I know, after all the fiascos, poor thing, I I feel like she's going through a tough patch, a rough patch. (laughs) Yeah. I think she just needs to maybe clarify what she said over Twitter because I feel like not a lot of good things happen on Wait, Twitter. I am so disconnected with what's happening in the... I think uh, she, she made some statements about 
trans people that yeah. maybe weren't accurate because she's obviously not a trans person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the trans community reacted badly to it, which makes sense because... Yeah, I mean, may- maybe you should call her for dinner and have her clarify. <laughs> maybe, <exactly>. like, <laughs> I mean... Like, I, I mean, love you, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe if I can't get J.K. Rowling, I'll get Emma Watson to be Ooh, on at my dinner party. One. I feel like she'd be a fun guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Oh, so director Taika Waititi, he directed Jojo Rabbit, which... Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, yes. it was a really good movie, but I feel yeah. like he has such a not eccentric brain. I feel like that's rude for me to say, <laughs> but I feel like he has such a creative and unique brain yeah. and he would also be a fun person to have at the dinner party. So uh, now that we know you a little better, um, how, about, how about you tell us a little bit about your story of how you came to be in this world? Okay, so I was born and raised in a little suburban town in Connecticut, and my parents immigrated from India, and I have pretty good memories of my early childhood. Um, New England is a really beautiful place to grow up. You've both been there, right? (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. you've both visited, because it has the changing seasons, and we're like five minutes from the coast. Um, But I also think it's important to note for the purposes of this conversation that if you've ever been to the shoreline east of New Haven, you've probably observed that the majority population is white. And I looked up the statistics yesterday and it's about 96%. Wow. Um, wow. And that's, that statistic is pretty similar for the neighboring towns on the shoreline. You started off talking about you know, how, where you stayed, but um, for your childhood, what were some of the early influences that shaped your worldview or um, what were some things that uh, really kind of contributed to your identity growing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in terms of influences, I think one of the more unique influences for me was that I had my neighbor Sally who took care of me from my infancy up until middle school when my parents were at work during the day. Um, And she was a retired preschool teacher and she had grandkids of her own. So she was like grandma age, but they were all, all of her grandkids were grown up. So I was the perfect little person (laughs) to keep her preoccupied and also probably very fed up a lot of the time (laughs) with my toddler antics. Um, But we, we developed a very, cozy and wholesome relationship that I think definitely has shaped me into who I am today. So she was a really big influence. Um, and then in terms of identities, I guess I, I associated more with Western culture just because that's what I was exposed to. So I played Western style violin. I did fencing in high school. I did various endeavors in writing poetry and English literature. But I think that's also where I struggled a lot growing up because one, I was caught between two cultures and expected to fully be both by two different communities, or at least that was the pressure that I felt, Mm -hmm. whether or not it was intentional. 
And then two, I had to navigate school and college terrains as the older sibling and seek guidance from friends who had a similar upbringing, which was difficult because those kinds of friends were few and far between. So that felt pretty isolating. And then three, I had to balance my very intensely creative side with the idea that in childhood and early adolescence, there existed two and only two career paths, which were in the medical field and engineering, which is really no one's fault. It's just that like career education was very linear when I was growing up at the time. Um, And those were like the two most stable and well-known options. But I will say, now, I'm very lucky that I found my niche in industrial design and product design, which is the perfect combination of engineering, critical thinking, and a lot of creativity. So if you don't know what that is, I won't go into it now, but Google it because it's pretty interesting. That's awesome. I I love how, in whatever way you could, take you know, societal conventions of absolutely right, right? The way you put it, especially in Indian households, it's almost like engineering or medicine. Those are the only two careers that are available. And that was very similar for Aarti and me growing up too. And both of us are engineers and so are you. Um, And as are all our cousins in the United States as well. Um, I love how you've taken that conventional societal norm and also married it with your intensely creative side, like you said, right? And and found what, what your niche is in industrial design and, and will definitely hope to hear hear about all of that and Google it. <laughs> but um, what was schooling like in in the town where you grew up and who were some of your closest friends when you look back at school and your time as a child? Yeah, so the friends thing was really huge for me because obviously, like I said, that statistically it was kind of hard to find people who look like me and who I can relate to. Um, So in addition to Sally, who was a big influence on my life, my other huge influence was my childhood, or actually more like life best friend. Um, And we met in middle school. We've been friends for like, now I have to do the math on the spot, but I want to say like 15 years by now. But We met in middle school, so that's grade five for us here, and she's Taiwanese-American, so obviously not Indian, but she had a very similar situation to mine. Um, Her parents were immigrants, and so she's first generation, Um, but I can't even express enough how important she has been for my mental sanity, like just having someone to talk to who was going through the same things as I was and had the same pressures and same feelings, but also the same creative desires was so comforting. And it was just so fortunate that we came across each other's paths. Um, we're, we're the same age, so we're both, and we're both the older sibling or the guinea pig, so to speak. And so we've been each other's number one emotional support during our upbringing and even now in early adulthood because we didn't really have anyone ahead of us in our situation to look up to really so she was like my closest and probably only close friend in 
middle school and in, in those public school days that's awesome to hear and and also that you were able to find someone who you could relate to in mm. in your situation and and i think growing up growing up uh, as someone who is different from the rest of the crowd and again i find it's so helpful that you're talking about it because for arti and me that was most often not the case right we grew up in mm-hmm. india went to school in india and so there were a lot of indian students around and we were in our in in india right but even having said that um we were we were we are south indian and having grown up mostly in the north part of india so i can slightly relate to that idea of not being um you know from that place but I think in your case being first generation Indian it's a totally different experience right and in, in that Definitely. sense it's exaggerated in a lot of ways especially growing up in really white communities right mm-hmm. uh versus when I look back at some of um the other Indian diaspora when you think about neighborhoods which are primarily Indian or schools which are a lot of Indian students go there or at least students of Indian origin that experience must have been slightly different. So I'm curious growing up what was your idea of being Indian/Desi or what did being Indian mean to you and did you identify as one? Yeah, so I'll I'll give you a little anecdote first. So as I mentioned earlier, um there weren't many Indians in the area, so I think in many instances among my peers i was the first real indian that they met which is pretty crazy to think of but now mm. looking back on it i mean it's true <clears throat> but obviously when you're younger there are fewer biases and subconscious stereotypes um but as i got older i remember <clears throat> sorry my voice is going away as i got older um i remember this there was this one time right before entering high school that I went to a sleepaway camp and it was my first summer sleepaway camp and it wasn't too far away from home it was still in Connecticut and for those of us who don't know what a sleepaway yeah. camp is can you tell us? I mean it sounds like you're it's going like, away somewhere to sleep but what is it's it it's just like a a camp where you stay for like a couple weeks and just sleep in their dorms or whatever ah, rooms okay. they have for you cool. so, is it like girl scouts no no it i mean There can be different types of sleepaway camps. Um this one was hosted at like a local private school hmm. and I think it was a writing camp or something. Um but basically they just it it was a boarding school that was during the summer converted into a sleepaway camp so that all their like summer camp students could stay in the same area and I think most of the people weren't from far away they were all from Connecticut but they were just their parents sent them there so they could get rid of them. <laughs> oh okay, got it. <laughs> Enjoy a peaceful summer. Um cool. But yeah, so it was my my first sleepaway camp over summer in Connecticut and I remember one night I heard people whispering outside of my room like she doesn't even have an Indian accent <laughs> which at the time was confusing for me because like because they said it in a in a way that was like in awe like wow she doesn't even have an indian accent mm-hmm. so it it was confusing for me because i was like am i supposed to be ashamed of being indian or am i supposed to suppress any other semblance of indianness that i might be showing but looking looking back on it now it was more 
angering than upsetting because I didn't like how people expected me to conform to their stereotypes of what it means to be Indian. And I didn't like how people didn't acknowledge or define me for and by my individual interests, but rather for what I should be based on my heritage and my culture and what I look like. And this isn't an isolated incident either. There are plenty of other, I guess, I don't, I don't know if microaggressions is the right word, but there are plenty of other types of those incidents that I experienced growing up, like from teachers refusing to say my full name because it was too complicated or being mistaken for other Indian people in a school district where there are like two Indian people. And even in high school, like I remember people making fun of like Indian relatives names because they were funny to say, sorry, I, I know on a podcast, you can't see my air quotes, but yeah, air quotes, funny in air quotes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think, I think the question of whether or not I identify as Indian is a loaded question because yes, I'm Indian, but not in the way that an Indian who grew up in India is. I'm Indian in the way that an Indian who grew up in America is Indian. Does that make sense? We know you studied at Georgia Tech, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. A lot of our cousins went there too. I'm imagining that you actually were exposed to a larger Indian community when you went to Georgia Tech compared to where you actually grew up, which is like, you know, barely um, any non-white folks. So what was that transition like um, in terms of just maybe exploring your identity more or how did that influence the way you saw this whole Indianness thing? Yeah, so obviously it was tough for me to fit in when I was living up in New England, but I didn't expect this, but I still experienced discrimination. I don't really know if it's discrimination. I don't think it's discrimination. I think it's just like not being able to click with each other. But I experienced that from peers in college, including Indians who grew up in America. So when I came to Georgia Tech, Arthi, like you said, it was like almost like a culture shock for me. but I guess, so when, when we talk about the Indian diaspora, it's true that there are pretty big pockets of Indian families in areas just like outside of Atlanta, like Alpharetta and Roswell or places like New Jersey. And there's pockets of Indian communities up and down the West Coast mm-hmm. and even pretty big communities in Massachusetts, like in central Massachusetts. And in those areas, it's not uncommon to find Indian dance teachers or like Hindustani vocal teachers, which many of my Indian college peers took full advantage of. Or at least if they didn't participate, they were still exposed to that community and influenced by that community. Mm. But if you come from a place like I do, you have to be extremely motivated and disciplined to either be self-taught in those areas or really work hard to seek out instructors who very likely could be over an hour away to reach by car. So anyway, when I came to tech and met other people who looked like me, I was 
super excited. I was excited to have girlfriends to commiserate over excessively hairy legs and <laughs> just about like being a first generation Indian in America. The boon of being Indian girls. Being <laughs> It's true. I mean, I got, I got bullied in middle school for having hairy legs because none of the other people could I know. had as luscious hair as I do. <laughs> All the fun um, girls. <laughs> but um, yeah, so when I, when I went to tech I, and I met Indians who grew up in America, but in those like pockets of Indian communities, I... I did learn a lot about my own culture, but at a certain point, it got pretty difficult to relate to my Indian peers just because my lived experiences were, and their lived experiences were so different. And also just like my interests were different. Um, so I ended up finding friends by working for the school newspaper and then building my own crew when I studied abroad. And I guess, to circle back to the original question of defining myself as Indian, like, yes, I define myself as Indian, but I also don't let race be the sole defining characteristic, and I try not to label myself as such right off the bat, just because in my experience, I think people like grouping people because it makes them feel comfortable, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it also creates in like unintentional stereotypes, whether you want it to happen or not. And that can really create a block in getting to know someone for who they really are. And just to clarify too, I'm not saying that there's one right or wrong way to define yourself. Like if you can define yourself by your culture and create beautiful connections with people, if your culture is something you relate, you resonate strongly with, then like, that's awesome. But for me personally, I found that I've been able to create deeper relationships by diving into aspects of myself that make me unique, whether it is my upbringing as a first generation Indian or whether it's about food or college or mm -hmm. things happening in the world, because for me and based on my experiences, my individuality in terms of my beliefs and my interests and my experiences is what makes up my identity. Sorry, that was I, a really long ramble. No, I, I love that. And I think there's so much in there to unpack in terms of exactly how you, you know, put it in. People love putting you in a box, right? Anybody that you meet for the first time based on how they look, based on how they speak, what their accent sounds like, or what, you know, what, what they're wearing. And I think the point that you're trying to make, and it is a very important one, especially in the world that we live in today, is that who you are as a person, your interest, your belief, that's what really defines you, right? And um, and, and not all these other things. Um, and I think that's that's so beautifully put. And I'm curious, based on, you know, just your lived experience, what advice would you have for someone who's either a child of an immigrant or an immigrant raising children in a culture that's not originally the one that they belong to? Um, and, you know, how, how should, or how, how might they think about think about this yeah so if you 
or your kid. I'm not really sure if we have any new parents listening, <laughs> but if if you want to define yourself by your cultural identity or define yourself by something that is unique to you or not define yourself at all and you do that on your own volition then that is awesome but you should never make anyone feel ashamed or judge anyone for how they want to identify themselves and if we are talking about identifying yourself by your culture A fulfilling education about your culture isn't going to come from feelings of shame or guilt. It will come from a genuine curiosity and a love for your culture. I think everyone has a different way that they identify themselves. Uh, It can be your race, it can be your sexuality, it can be your gender, but it can also be your interests and your experiences and your passions. And if, if everyone identified themselves in the same way, the world would be very boring. So don't be afraid to be different or even what society might call weird, because as long as you're not hurting anyone or acting maliciously, your uniqueness is so valuable to the world and it's how we progress as a society. Those are such wise words. And really, I think the you know thing that we all want to hopefully take away is the fact that you shouldn't be scared to be different right and I think that's what Aarti and I also try to do on this podcast is to get those different views and honestly even when I moved here to the U.S. there was just this one idea of what an Indian who moves to the U.S. looks like or does or participates in what sort of activities do they uh, take part in or how they travel but there's just so much variety in even that right Uh, of people who grew up in India and move here versus like you said people who were born here and grew up here Um, so there's so many ways to define what Desi means or what Indian means and 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 I'm so glad that you're sharing your lived experience and your perspective so thanks so much for doing that thanks for providing the platform awesome and uh, is there anything else, Samira, that you would like our listeners to know about you? Is there anything that we haven't asked you, but would would you would have liked us to ask you about? Um, I think that's, I, I think I don't really have much else to share. Have me on later when I'm like 10 years into my <laughs> career. and I, We'll talk more about industrial design, but. That's awesome. And um, we asked this, oh, you know, one question to all our um guess and I think you answered this in a lot of ways but does the term global desi mean something to you because you are on the life of a global desi podcast so I know I I I feel kind of bad because I honestly didn't know that phrase existed until your (laughs) podcast existed and so I don't know I didn't really like look into the term desi that much so I don't really know what it means well so just to give you a definition it just means the term desi means someone who's of um origin or originates from the indian subcontinent like it could be pakistani bangladeshi sri lankan indian mm-hmm. um you know uh, and, and nepalese as well so um and global desi is something that i don't know if it already exists or we just invented for the purposes of this podcast but <laughs> <laughs> the idea was just desis um all over the world or just desis in India or in the Indian subcontinent who have a very global outlook and um, just trying to create space for anyone who can relate to that. So 
now how do you think yeah you I mean that point? I feel like I feel like in certain aspects I could but like I said earlier like creating those types of labels really allows for stereotypes to form and so I think in certain aspects like depending on maybe who I'm trying to relate to yes I am a global desi but I'm many other things as well so I wouldn't necessarily like give myself uh that blanket term uh love that and um thanks so much for sharing all your experiences Samira this has yeah. been really really helpful and I'm sure our listeners um you know took away a lot from it like just like Aarti and I did yeah, so thanks definitely. so much for sharing thanks that thanks for being of course. and being yourself <laughs> yeah thanks for having me on here awesome see you soon and to our listeners um keep listening and stay curious stay curious peace out hey daisies if you enjoyed this episode then please rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever else you're listening to podcasts and drop us a note on lifeofaglobaldesi at gmail.com or our social media to keep up this awesome dialogue Oh, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating. You're so cheap. Why are you asking them for five-star ratings? <laughs> well, I always ask for the rating I want, not the one I have. You know, like dress for the job you want, not the one you have. That's like the stupidest thing I've heard all day. Arthi, you're so judgmental. What? You need to stop being Listen, judgmental. <laughs> I just think you can't be so demanding. That's all. You ask for what you want. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs>